What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with our 2022 Rookie Dynasty Wide Receiver Rankings. We have the NFL Draft in the books now. Now it's time to talk about these guys relative to where they went, how high they went, what landing spots that they went to, and get you guys prepared for your rookie drafts. I'm sure many of you guys have either had your rookie drafts already, maybe you have a lot, a lot coming up this weekend. I know myself, I have a lot this weekend that I'm trying to get prepared for. So in this video, we'll be breaking down all these wide receivers from a talent situation perspective. Um, we're not going to assume anything. I know a lot of you guys maybe just be coming back to the dynasty scene. So we'll try and review these guys uh, as briefly as we can, as far as their pre-draft profile, if you don't maybe necessarily know who all these guys are. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Cause again, I mean, we're all hyped up. We're all having our rookie drafts right now. And a lot of these top end wide receiver prospects we saw fly off the board in the NFL draft. Now it's our job to kind of coordinate where they ranks amongst their peers. But yeah, I'm ready to go. If you guys enjoy content like this, make sure you like, subscribe down below. Before we get into the first prospect, as always, we're gonna hit that intro. Real quick before I, uh, you know, spoil who the number one is, before we get into it, one important concept that we need to cover quickly that I'll just kind of go over is that with wide receivers, it is way less landing spot dependent than the quarterback position when we have to worry about the talent around them, their coaching staff, et cetera, and the running back position when we have to worry about who's the competition in their backfield because typically we only have, you know, one running back on the field. Running backs depend on opportunity because there's only one on the field at the same time. Whereas with wide receivers, 70, 80, 90% of the time, there's three of them on the field. So typically, you know, target share and all that kind of stuff plays a factor, but it doesn't necessarily mean, hey, there's, you know, good wide receivers on his team. He can't be productive type of thing. Quarterbacks, target competition, it all matters for projecting a guy's range of outcomes and deciphering within tiers, but we're not going to go nuts and say, you know, we're going to completely elevate a player because he has a great quarterback and no target competition like Christian Watson, for example. And we're also not going to kill a guy because he has a bad quarterback and some target competition. Absolutely. And from watching this video, we want you guys to remember, you guys would have already seen the running back rankings video where it was a lot more situation dependent. I want you to come away with this one nugget from this video. This is if, even if you don't remember anything else, if this is the one thing you remember from this video, targets are earned, carries are given. If you are a good wide receiver, you will command volume. You are not just going to command volume because you are in a high-powered offense. Good players command targets. So therefore, you're going to see here, our rankings may differ from a lot of other people who value those landing spots because let's be honest here. We want the best players, period. Yeah, exactly. The way that we evaluate these guys for just, again, peek behind the curtain, then we'll get into this. These evaluations are like 90% production profile, talent, most of the stuff that we knew pre-draft and now with the added thing that we know where they went in the NFL draft as far as their draft capital is concerned, not necessarily what team they went to. So like 10% of the evaluation that we're talking about here is who's throwing them the ball, who they're competing for targets with, what team they play for, et cetera. And since many people are coming back to fantasy, like we said, we're going to go over their profiles briefly again so that you guys know how good their profiles were and how they ranked for us pre-draft. So without further ado, let's get into the first guy, wide receiver one in the class for both of us. My wide receiver one pre-draft, he was your wide receiver My two pre-draft. Drake London, wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. From a talent perspective, again, the profile was very, very strong. He was my wide receiver one in the class, number one in PFF receiving grade in 2021. 
top four in yards per route run versus man coverage versus zone coverage. And he produced and broke out at a young age, at age you know, 18, 19 years old as a freshman and a sophomore, playing alongside Amon Ross St. Brown, who plays for the Detroit Lions, Michael Pittman Jr. of the Indianapolis Colts. And he was also still playing basketball at USC during that time that those guys were on the field. His junior year, he you know stops playing basketball. He focuses on football full-time. Those guys were off to the NFL, and he exploded in the eight games that he played. 15 targets per game that he was getting. The USC passing offense through 333 times in those eight games had 2,522 um, passing yards, 17 touchdowns, 35% uh, target share for Drake London, 43% of the team's receiving yards, 41% of the team's touchdown. This guy dominated this offense. Many people said, you know, this is a shitty athlete. He can't separate, et cetera, et cetera. 73rd percentile separation against man coverage, 68th percentile separation versus press coverage, and 93rd percentile separation against zone coverage. So he's not going to light up the stat sheets, you know, 95% against all these coverages because it's not his game. He is much more of a contested catch type of dude, but he can do it. It's something that he has in his repertoire. It's something that, while it's not elite, in that separation area, he can still do it for sure. My comp for him was Marquise Colston. I think a lot of people uh, may be overthinking Drake London. To me, he's the clear 102 behind Brees Hall. For sure. And uh, if we're making, you know, a reference, uh, if you guys remember, you know, prime Megatron, prime uh, Matthew Stafford way back in the day, and there was that kind of meme that went around that it was, fuck it, Calvin down there somewhere. That's basically what the USC offense was last year. Kadon Slovis, under pressure, no matter what, his mentality was, Bucket Drake down there somewhere. Nearly 15 targets per game is unprecedented. 119 targets in eight games. You could make the case that that would be an elite volume across a full season. This guy got that in eight games. So if we're talking about the ability to command volume, the ability to command targets, nobody in college football did that better than Drake London last year prior to his injury. Drake London is flat out going to step in right away be an alpha style wide receiver in a, again, we're not getting into the situation yet, but I mean, he is exactly what Atlanta would need as a pure playmaker that can step in right away from a talent perspective and be a 140, 150 plus target per target per season type wide receiver. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of touched on the situation already. You get, again, top 10 draft capital, which is the, the most important input that we have yes. in this profile now. So we got a top 10 draft capital to a team in Atlanta, talking about the situation. Again, it's not a huge percentage of wide receivers, but he goes to the Falcons with absolutely zero wide receiver competition. Only Kyle Pitts is a plus starter on that offense pretty much at this point in time. Calvin Ridley is probably expected to come back in 2023, but he's on an expiring contract and has requested a trade in the past, so I'm not too concerned with Calvin Ridley specifically. Zero issues projecting a big target share for Drake London in year one because Pretty much all that he's done in his college career is is produce and command targets, and I expect him to do the same in Atlanta. Yeah, Marcus Mariota's throwing him the ball this year, but I don't expect that to last very long either. No, for sure. And uh, you mentioned uh, Marcus Colston, but man, th the one vibe I am getting is that jersey hanging right behind you. And now that we have that capital input in play now, I mean, Mike Evans, what, the seventh overall pick in 2014? Drake London's now the eighth overall pick in 2022. I mean... That's the type of career I can see this guy, Drake London, having. And if you're telling me right now I'm getting a locked and loaded top 12 wide receiver for the next eight years, I mean, this is a clear-cut steal, a clear-cut stud. And quite frankly, in my opinion, if he's falling past the 102 in your rookie drafts, he's instantly a steal. 
Yeah, exactly. So if you want to take, you know, you love Traylon Burks, you want to take him over, you know, Drake London. I'm not going to argue with you, but I, I personally think that he is the clear 102. It's not a tier break necessarily for me uh, with Drake London in a tier of his own, because I do think you can make the argument for the other 100%. guys and maybe Kenneth Walker as well. But I do, I, I personally think Drake London is is almost a tier above the other guys uh, at the 102 for me. So the second guy that we're going to get into our wide receiver two, um, your wide receiver two, my wide receiver three. So we actually have a tie at wide receiver two, but your wide receiver two, I'll let you take it away with Traylon Burks. For sure. And I kind of broke down his talent section in terms of his elite production in college and then his elite efficiency in college. So let's talk about the production. 92nd percentile college dominator, 93rd percentile college target share, despite being a guy that was playing in the SEC. He commanded all the targets that you could possibly ask for for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And we're talking about the efficiency here. Number four wide receiver in the class in PFF grade. Again, as I mentioned, all while playing against top-of-the-line SEC competition. You're talking about the Alabamas. You're talking about the LSUs. You're talking about elite-level, top 25 in the nation type of teams. And Traylon Brooks was a man amongst boys amongst the wide receiver position. Number four in the class, PFF grade, 3.57 yards per route run, which was number two in the class, trailing only FCS Christian Watson, where, as we know, there's a big difference between playing with, you know, North Dakota State versus Alabama. So, I mean, you're talking about the fact that this guy was an elite efficiency player, commanded elite volume, and was the best player after the catch. 9.3 yards after catch per reception, which was the highest in the class. He can clearly win after the catch and in deep situation. And when I'm watching this guy play, I mean, you you mentioned to me your comp form is Chris Godwin. I see A.J. Brown when I turn on the tape and watch Traylon Burks play. The weakness of Traylon Burks's game really comes as his new or with his nuance as a wide receiver, with his nuance as a separator. But I mean, if we're talking about top of the line projectable ceiling, like his range of outcome, like top percentile, would be A.J. Brown, would be top five wide receiver in Dan a Dynasty. Yeah, I think with, with Burks, he he was getting overthought completely because he's Absolutely. been a guy that's been on the dynasty scene for a long time. Traylon Burks, don't overthink it. He's a great athlete. He's big. He's got the production. He's got the you know high level production, like you said, in a in a great conference like the SEC. I'm I have no problems taking him. You know, probably after the guy that we're going to talk about in a second, but he is still in that top four, top five tier for me uh, above the rest of the guys in this class. For sure. And I mean, if we're talking about the opportunity, if we were talking about the situation, we kind of talked about in our pre-draft wide receiver rankings that Traylon Burks was a very situational dependent wide receiver. Not because, again, we argue talent. Don't get me wrong. Talent over situation always. But the type of player that Traylon is, he needed the situation to best suit his ability. Well, let's talk about the team that was able to actually develop my comp, A.J. Brown. He lands in the exact same situation and he's actually considered A.J. Brown's replacement. In fact, he was traded basically for A.J. Brown on draft night. If there was a situation that can get the best out of Burks, that can get the best out of his playmaking ability, yards after catch ability, big frame, it is the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, I think you could argue, too, of any of the first-round wide receivers, he got the best quarterback, too. And I know Ryan Tannehill's a little down in the dumps right now. He's you know saying shit like, I'm not going to mentor Malik Willis or whatever, but I still think he's a better quarterback then Jameis Winston, who's thrown a Chris Olave, Jared Goff, who's thrown a Jamison Williams, Zach Wilson, as of right now, who's throwing to Garrett Wilson, um, you know, Marcus Mariota throwing to Drake London. I think he probably has the best year one chance of, you know, producing at a high level because he has the best quarterback and very little target competition, like you mentioned, with AJ Brown now gone. Again, another guy that we're very comfortable taking 
in that 102 to 104 range. I don't think we need to spend too much more time on Traylon Burks. I think many people probably know, even if you're more of a casual dynasty player, who Traylon Burks is and why his value for fantasy was so high. So the next guy that we have here is also tied for, you know, our wide receiver two. He is my wide receiver two, your wide receiver three, Garrett Wilson, wide receiver from the New York Jets. From a talent perspective, the reason I have him over Traylon Burks is because he's one of the easiest projections in the class. Like you said, with Traylon Burks, the ceiling might be a little bit higher, but the you know floor might be a little bit lower. Wilson had great film. He's an easy separator, great hands, twitchy after the catch. I think he's probably second best in this class. After the catch, maybe you want to argue him versus Jamison Williams behind Traylon Burks. Performed at an elite level in reception perception, according to Matt Harmon, 70th percentile or better across the board versus man, zone coverage, press coverage, and a whopping 97th percentile win rate against zone coverage. This guy, if you guys look at his his success rate by route, the only route that he wasn't winning at an above average rate among college wide receivers that have come out in the last five, six, seven years was on out routes, which weirdly enough is the guy that I com- I compared him to, which was Deontay Johnson's bread and butter. So uh, he was productive at... You know, a a big school like Ohio State commanding at 28% target share as a true sophomore, competing for targets that year with Chris Olave, with Jamison Williams, who eventually transferred to Alabama, 1,058 yards this year, 12 touchdowns, despite, you know, playing alongside an elite sophomore in Jackson Smith and Jigba. He went berserk and Chris Olave, also a top 11 pick in this draft. Being productive amongst those guys is really intriguing, considering the fact that, you know, opportunity wise, he's going to go to a, a situation that has a good wide receiver there. He lands 10th overall with the New York Jets. Some people were concerned with the landing spot because he's splitting targets with Elijah Moore and Zach Wilson is throwing him the ball. But given what I've seen from Garrett Wilson, his ability to command targets among other great wide receivers, I really don't have any concerns. And like I said, my comp for him was Deontay Johnson. I think he can have that PPR stud type of ceiling. Yeah, no, I I see that completely. I mean, Deontay Johnson is the perfect comparable for Garrett Wilson. I'll be, I will say, I do expect Garrett Wilson to have even more uh, ceiling, even more production than Deontay Johnson did coming out of school. I mean, just going to come with the fact that you're talking 10th overall pick versus third round pick at the time. But if he develops into, you know, a Deontay Johnson top 12 level, level contributor at the fantasy football level, like you are more than fine spending a top four pick on that in rookie drafts. You kind of mentioned, I mean, the reason why I have Traylon Brooks a little bit higher would be that elite, you know, top percentile type of ceiling. But, I mean, we said the same fucking thing about uh, Justin Jefferson. We said the same fucking thing about Devontae Smith last year. They are still stud 1A type of wide receivers in the NFL. And, I mean, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be a ton of fun watching that Wilson to Wilson connection, watching them, like, basically used interchangeably with Elijah Moore. I mean, we talked about the Jets offense going into last year. Well, this is the time you actually buy them when everybody thinks that, oh, we got hyped on them last year. They did nothing. This is the post-hype sleeper offense. Garrett Wilson is a superstar type of talent. He is arguably a, again, top three receiver in this class for many. Uh, some even circles have him as the wide receiver one. Like He is going to lock in day one and be a pro-ready NFL wide receiver. Yeah, and I think one of two things is likely to happen this year with Wilson's rookie season. Assuming Wilson is the talent that I think he is, I think, number one, Zach Wilson takes a huge step forward with all the additions that they've made. And this duo of Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson becomes a light version of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. It's not going to be, you know, the wide receiver one and the wide receiver five in Dynasty, but they could be, you know, both back-end wide receiver ones in Dynasty this time next year. Number two scenario is that Zach Wilson face plants and bombs, and he is just a bad quarterback, which, again, I don't think is likely. But the Jets have shown to be an aggressive front office, to be an aggressive, you know, team. And rather than just, you know, simply drafting a new quarterback, I think they might go out and get aggressive and and 
you know, go sign Kyler Murray or some shit, go trade for Kyler Murray because they might be done. Uh, if Zach Wilson doesn't work out, uh, chasing these rookie quarterbacks with high ceilings, they might just be like, Hey, we have, you know, the landing spot, the, the nest for the, our quarterback to be very successful. All we need is our signal caller. So they might, you know, if they have the fifth overall pick because Zach Wilson bombed this year, they might be like, Hey, Arizona, let's give you, you know, pick number five and we'll give you our 2024 first round pick as well for the rights to Kyler Murray and then go extend him. And then suddenly you have Kyler Murray's number one or one B wide receiver. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree there. Um, Again, I do think it's more likely that Zach Wilson takes a step up this year, but as we've kind of seen, like the Jets kind of threw it on the table. We built you an offensive line. We added you another stud receiver to pair with Elijah Moore. We brought you a, a, a rookie tight end along with a couple other decent options. Like if you do not perform this year, we're willing to go out and we're willing to make a splash. So everything that I've seen from the Jets front office from a team building perspective has been in that right circumstance. And then we talked about it. Good players earn targets. I mean, Garrett Wilson can step in right away compliment Elijah Moore and both those guys realistically can be 120 130 plus target earners at the NFL level right and people are like I don't know if I want to you know hitch my wagon to Zach Wilson supporting two wide receivers it's like most of the time Zach Wilson was on the field last year one he's a rookie quarterback which typically struggle and two Elijah Moore's stretch where he was dominant didn't come when Zach Wilson was playing he was hurt so Zach Wilson by the end of the year is throwing a Braxton Berrios and and you know guys you've never heard of and at the beginning of the year, Elijah Moore was still a rookie and he was kind of getting his legs under him. So that time that Elijah Moore looked like an elite wide receiver never really overlapped with Zach Wilson being the quarterback just due to injury to both of those players. So I think this year coming in, hopefully the offensive line's a little bit more healthy. Hopefully Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore and Corey Davis can all stay healthy because, you know, the wide receiver core was depleted last year. I think Zach Wilson should be primed to take a step forward, which kind of mitigates my concerns for Garrett Wilson long-term. I saw on Twitter today that somebody said they got Garrett Wilson at the 109. Like, that's textbook overvaluing landing spot, right? Silly. I guarantee, you know, Sky Moore, who I like, and, you know, Christian Watson and the guys that got better landing spots were going ahead of Garrett Wilson and that guy's rookie draft. And that is just, you know, typical number one mistake of most dynasty players with the wide receiver position. The landing spot, it should be like 10% of the equation. It should not be yes. you know, 90%. Yes, and just for the record, when we say landing spot, we don't talk about draft capital. Draft capital is a big weight there. Landing spot is not. So remember that when you're making your choice, whether you know you're considering a fourth rounder with a decent landing spot versus a guy that gets J two draft capital, just take the day two at that point. Um, but either way, transitioning off of Garrett Wilson again, we mentioned these three receivers. You want to take them one hundred two to one hundred four. They're pretty interchangeable. Now we're getting into that second tier at wide receiver, and the leading name there is actually going to be Garrett Wilson's teammate and the teammate that was actually taken one spot after him in the NFL draft, talking about Chris Olave, and it's pretty simple to me. This guy's a top two road runner in the class, and he ain't two. I mean, this guy, Matt Harmon reception perception, you guys can see the graphs on the screen, but he won at an above average uh, level at every single route apart from the dig where he was average. So we're seeing that this guy's not only just dominant at a certain section of the field. This is a legitimate three-level threat that can win on his routes at any single point in the field. And you guys can see the percentages. 90th percentile against man. 80th percentile against zone. 93rd percentile against press. People might say, oh, you know, he's a six-foot slender receiver. Yeah, but he was dominating press like nobody's business. This guy's footwork at the line of scrimmage is tremendous. And this guy separates like butter. A guy that wins in and out of his breaks like this. A guy that can step in and immediately be a contributor at the next level. Think like a B-plus version of Devontae Smith. That is what I see with Chris Olave. Obviously, he didn't have, you know, the Heisman Trophy season that 
uh, Devontae Smith had before he came out, but didn't declare early. And people kind of, you know, want to push him down their rankings and hold that against him because, you know, he wanted to compete for a national championship again at a big, big level program. Chris Olave committed for the draft last year. Nobody would be batting an eye. Everybody would be fine with him. But because he's a late declare, people want to rule this guy out. No, like this guy's literally my age right now. And he was still dominant against top level competition. So like, it is so hard to find a weakness with him. The only real weakness he has would be his after the catch ability. But he wasn't really used in much space, to be quite honest, at Ohio State. So if we're talking about a guy that can separate, can catch the ball, can high point the football. I mean, this guy can do everything on a football field that you can ask for. Yeah, I, Chris Olave is one of the most overthought names that I've seen. Analytics bros will pull out their spreadsheets and they go late declares bust at a you know seventy percent rate, even though when they're taking in the first round, it's like, yeah, but did those late declares have you know eightieth plus percentile reception perception scores across the board? Because pretty much Devonte Smith is the example, right? Because yeah. you know Devonte Smith had the Heisman season and Chris Olave didn't, but at the same time they were both you know winning on their routes, which is all that matters in the NFL: get open and catch the ball, and uh, that's what Chris Olave does. You know, pretty much as good as anybody in this class. And um, I, I think people are really, really overthinking him. I mean, this is a guy that we're both comfortable taking at 106, you know, anywhere between 106 and 109. Yep. No, absolutely. Agreed. So we talked about the talent. Let's talk about the opportunity here. Let's talk about the situation with the New Orleans Saints. I mean, you can't argue, you can't snip. 11th overall draft capital. Oddly enough, my comfort Devonte Smith, one pick after where Devonte Smith went last year for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I've heard people kind of criticize this landing spot saying, Oh, it's the Saints. You know, Michael Thomas is there. Like, what are they going to do in the passing game? But I don't get that at all. I mean, Jameis Winston has shown that since he's been in the NFL, he's been his best when he has a receiver that can unlock that deep portion of the field. And guess what? Chris Olave can do that and can do that very, very well. I mean, I view this guy as a dependable wide receiver two option behind Michael Thomas in the short term for a team that has lacked a true secondary playmaker at wide receiver. And then, guess what? I think this guy can step up and be a number one receiver in the future. MT is 29 years old. Couple years down the road, I think Chris Olave can ascend into that number one wide receiver. And the best comparable for that. Calvin Ridley in Atlanta. I mean, Calvin Ridley was a very, very good 1B receiver to Julio Jones for the first few years of his career. As soon as Julio was gone, Calvin Ridley was a top six wide receiver in fantasy. I can see that level of projection with Chris Alave with the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, and we're talking about Michael Thomas played, what, nine games in the last two years? Yeah. And he you know, has been dealing with like some kind of like diva issues as well. Like we don't really know how much longer he's going to be with new Orleans. If he gets, you know, banged up again this year, they'll probably cut or trade him. So it could be as early as Chris Olave's second season that he's the number one target there uh, for, you know, whether it's Jameis Winston or a rookie quarterback in 2023, we don't really know. Again, we're not really concerned with situation. We know Chris Olave is a good receiver. There's enough target volume to go around in that offense. It's just Michael Thomas. It's just Alvin Kamara. They've needed a number two receiver for a number of years now, and they finally got one with Chris Olave, who could eventually, like you said, be their number one long-term. So let's get into another guy, another Ohio State wide receiver, former Ohio State wide receiver, um, finished his final season at the University of Alabama. Jamison Williams, wide receiver from the Detroit Lions. Again, went one pick after his former Ohio State teammates at pick number 12 to the Lions. The best pure deep threat in the class. Jamison Williams has, you know, 4-2 speed, 
super lethal down the field in college, second in this class in quarterback rating when targeted, nearly a perfect quarterback rating when Bryce Young decided to throw him the football. Number two in yards per reception in the class as well. Just shows you how good he was at creating after the catch and getting downfield. Needs some refinement and development, but he has the physical tools to become an elite wide receiver in the NFL. And I think day one, he's at least a deep threat for that offense. And that could be, you know, a fruitful role because of how explosive he is. The only thing that keeps him below the other guys for me is number one, he does have a chance of, you know, what we call face planning, because if he doesn't get on the field early in his rookie season, it is possible that he loses some dynasty value. But if you're a rebuilding team, that might not be a big concern for you. But again, the other thing that keeps him below these guys is the lack of elite target share in his college career. Just one season where he was even productive to begin with when he transferred to Alabama. And also in that one season, only a 20 point six, 7% target share. So not a guy that I think is going to be, you know, 150 target guy, but I said the same thing about Jalen Waddle last year. Sometimes, you know, that 12th overall draft capital speaks volumes. It's way higher draft capital than they spent on Amon Ross St. Brown, who we both like. So there's a good chance that this guy, regardless of, you know, where they, what we think of him pre-draft just becomes their number one guy. Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about Jamison Williams, I mean, you kind of threw out the Waddle comp too. Uh, I mean, Marquise Brown would be a similar situation where we saw him ascend into a target machine this past year obviously now with the Arizona Cardinals oddly enough teaming up with his former college teammate Will Fuller a couple years ago prime example playing with Deshaun Watson Jamison Williams could be that type of player and when we're talking about situation you mentioned year one you know he's going to come back from the ACL the Lions are probably not going to be a good team so maybe he quote unquote loses a little bit of value this year well if the Lions are a bad team yet again next year guess what that quarterback situation do not worry about it at all because those two guys next year, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, which the Lions will in fact be in play for. I mean, could we just imagine, you know, Jameson Williams reuniting with his college quarterback next year? I'm just thinking about that, man. That's going to be a sight to see. But even if he doesn't get an upgrade, I mean, we're talking about a player that was one of the most electric players in college football when he was healthy last year. Like, I genuinely think if Jameson Williams was healthy for that Georgia National Championship game, the outcome may have ended up different. And we're talking about a game that was relatively not even that close. I mean, Georgia won by multiple possessions. We saw that when Jamison Williams was healthy, Atlanta, or Atlanta, Alabama exposed the best defense we have seen in college football in quite some time off the back of Jamison Williams. I mean, this was a guy that could flat out outrun any single person on the field. And you kind of mentioned the speed for two. I mean, Realistically, this guy could step in as soon as he recovers in the NFL. And you could probably make the case that he's the second fastest wide receiver behind Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that take at all. I think Jamison Williams, like we said, he, he could have a similar, you brought up, you know, a similar career arc to Calvin Ridley for Chris Olave. We could see a similar career arc for Jamison Williams to Rashad Bateman this past year, right? Rashad Bateman came into the season, didn't play until, you know, week six, week seven. But when he got on the field, he had like six straight games of six plus targets. And then, you know, Lamar Jackson got hurt and it went to shit a little bit. But at the same time, I think Jamison Williams might, you know, maintain his value going into the, the offseason next year. And then a couple things happen. They draft Bryce Young, whatever the case is, then his value really kind of skyrockets. And I also think there could be a chance that Jamison Williams, you know, comes back and has a few, you know, long touchdowns and the market overreaction pushes him, you know, up to a top 10 dynasty wide receiver because everybody gets super excited about him. When you think about the opportunity, again, 12th overall draft capital, the Lions offense is centered around short targets like Swift, Amon Ross St. Brown, TJ Hawkinson, other than DJ Chark, who's on a one-year deal, they don't really have that guy that's going to fill the intermediate and deep areas of the field. And Jamison Williams could have a monopoly on those targets by the yeah. time he starts to develop towards the end of his rookie season and into uh, his sophomore year.
Yep. No, I, I fully agree. I'm very, very optimistic for Jamison Williams. Uh, again, currently our fifth ranked wide receiver, a guy that we feel comfortable taking in that 106 to 109 range. And you kind of mentioned it too, with his fit in the offense. I mean, he does something that no other player on that offense does. He threatens that deep portion of the field. I love him on St. Brown. He is going to threaten that short-term intermediate uh, area of the field. Same thing with TJ Hawkinson. Same thing with DeAndre Swift. They don't have that guy that can not only be a three-level threat, but in fact attack that deep portion and make safeties play back, make safeties respect his speed. And if they don't respect his speed, guess what? Jameson Williams is blowing past them with ease. Yeah, and they have that guy this year with DJ Chark potentially, but he's on a one-year deal, like you said. And I think it just makes the offense better altogether because if you clear out space for all those short targets, then the offense moves better and you know can score more points and all that kind of stuff, which benefits everybody. So let's get into the next wide receiver here. Like you said, Jamison Williams. If you're a rebuilding team, I don't hate taking him as high as like 105, 106 because I think long-term he could end up being you know the highest dynasty value of many of these guys. Um, just because this year we have some concerns about him. So the next guy that we have here, Sky Moore from the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll let you take it away with him. Let's talk about the talent because the talent is going to be the main argument, if you will, here. Because people are going to say, oh, landing spot, oh, he's going to get overvalued. Yeah, no, this is a really, really good prospect in his own right. Talk about the volume commanded. 39.5% target share in college with a 44.8% college dominator, which is in the 91st percentile. And I get it. I mean, people are going to say, oh, Western Michigan, he has to dominate. Well, he did dominate. So why are people going to bring up the level of competition? He did meet the standard that we expect for him to play against competition from Western Michigan. I mean, fourth in uh, targets per route run, fifth in yards per route run. This guy was flat out out there commanding targets no matter what. And when we talk about the efficiency on those targets, I mean, this is a guy who as I mentioned with Chris Olave, is an elite separator who has some of the best feet and release packages I've seen in a while. This is a guy that can consistently win in all three phases of his row. An underrated contestant catch guy, might I add, as I will get into. But you guys can see his recorded reception perception. I mean, this was a guy who ranked 86th percentile against man, 97th percentile against zone, and 91st percentile against press. 5'10", 195. Can he handle an NFL press? 91st percentile will tell you that he can indeed handle press at the next level. He's shown the ability that not only can he separate an elite level, but he actually ranks number one in tackles avoided after the catch, along with having the fifth highest contested catch rate, as I mentioned, in the class. So not only can he separate, he can produce after the catch, and he can high point the football. So this is a overall dynamic wide receiver. Think Golden Tate 2.0 when you're talking about Sky Moore. And as we saw with Golden Tate when he was in his prime, this was a player that recorded three separate 1,000-yard seasons and three separate seasons finishing as a wide receiver two or higher, playing in Detroit and playing in Seattle. Now we plug that into Kansas City as we'll talk about in the situation. And boy, you can see the excitement on my face right now. Yeah, I mean, like, we don't typically see small school receivers do what Sky Moore did. He came into you know Western Michigan as a college quarterback and defensive back and recorded a 21% target share as a true freshman, 19 year old. Typically, we see you know small school wide receivers do what Christian Watson did, where they they're not very productive earlier in their career, and then they have kind of like a late breakout age and have you know a productive senior season, and then we have all these red flags and question marks from an analytics standpoint. But we got an early declare wide receiver from the MAC who was productive all three. Uh, seasons of his career, even though he had a shortened COVID season in 2020. So yeah, like there's a lot of things to love about Sky Moore. And it's not just the guy getting elevated by his landing spot. He was already a tier two wide receiver 
pre-draft, I had it Jahan Dotson, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, and Sky Moore. They were all in the same tier. They remain all in the same tier. Yep. No, absolutely. And again, I, I alluded to the opportunity. I alluded to the situation. Yeah. I mean, he didn't go 29th to 30th the way I, we projected. This guy landed in the top 55 of the NFL draft to the most ideal landing spot we could have imagined while still being, as I mentioned, a very good prospect in his own right. But let's talk about the opportunity. I mean, this is the nuts. Like if you guys play poker, this is the absolute nuts of wide receiver landing spots you could possibly imagine landing with the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs. We preach, as I mentioned, not to raise a player over a more talented player when it comes to landing spot. But when we deal with the same tier of talent, it is more than fine. And this is the case for Sky Moore. I'm personally fine with taking a Sky Moore over a Jahan Dotson. I had Dotson slightly higher in my pre-draft rankings, but because of the landing spot, that would be the little differentiator that I'm okay with doing, raising Sky over Dotson in this case. He gets insulated value immediately catching passes from Patrick Mahomes. Let's just think about that. Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, McCole Hardman, all that fugaz, Sky Moore immediately steps in and is the best wide receiver in that room, period. And as we said, good players earn targets. Sky Moore won't earn targets because he's in KC. Sky Moore will earn targets because he's a very good player. And it helps with the fact that he's catching those passes from freaking Patrick Mahomes in one of the best offenses in the NFL, not to mention with one of the best play callers at integrating his playmakers in space, something that Sky Moore does as good as anybody in this class. Right. And most of those guys are on one-year deals too. I think McCole Hardman's on the last year of his rookie deal. Juju's on a one-year deal. I think MBS is on a one-year deal as well. So none of those guys are long for Kansas City, even if he has you know a bit of a slow start to his NFL career because he's you know coming from the MAC conference or whatever. Um, as long as he proves, you know, what we need to see in his rookie season, he should be good to go by his second year. Once all those guys are probably moving on to new teams, a guy, like you said, that we're, we're not going to elevate to the one Oh three, the one Oh four over the guys that we thought were better prospects, but we are going to elevate if we need to, to one Oh six, one Oh seven, one Oh eight around the other guys in that tier. Like I said, yep. No, I, I mean, I fully agree. Sky Moore. if you can get him, you know, one Oh eight, one Oh nine, I think that's a very good value as I mentioned. And the one thing I will say is that, yes, I am very, very excited about Sky Moore. And you kind of talked about it too, but do not take him over Garrett Wilson. Do not take him over Traylon Burks. Do not take him over Drake London. Take him where you're comparing similar talents in that area. If you wanted to take him over Chris Olave, again, I wouldn't do it personally, but I wouldn't argue with you for doing it. Same thing. If you want to take him over Jameson Williams, I wouldn't personally do it, but I wouldn't argue for you to do it. That is a, a taking a good player and not over-elevating him. Right, and the process is sound. If you just thought Sky Moore was a terrible prospect, then again, don't don't pick him because the prospect profile, like we said, is what mattered. But we loved him as a prospect, so that's why he ranks among those guys for us. So the other guy that we have kind of tied for our sixth wide receiver or seventh wide receiver would be Jahan Dotson. Basically just Garrett Wilson light to me. Uh, is the same skill set, elite separator, great hands. He kind of gets dinged by analytics folks because he didn't produce as a freshman, didn't produce as a sophomore, but as a junior and a senior, back-to-back -back seasons in 2020 and 2021 of a 28% and a 30% target share. Since 2020, look at the, what he did to ranked opponents. He went off against Ohio State twice in the last two years. Michigan State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Auburn, Iowa. Like 
he's just tearing these teams up. And like, look at the target totals that he's getting against them too, right? They know Jahan Dotson's their best player on Penn State. They know that they need to stop him, but they couldn't do it. He wasn't as good as Wilson at separating against man coverage. He was more so of a zone beater, like you guys can see on the screen. 96th percentile against zone coverage. But most NFL teams play zone coverage all the time anyway, so it doesn't really matter. The opportunity is is pretty simple. A lot of people are going to not love the Washington landing spot for two reasons. Number one, it's Carson Wentz. Number two, he has Terry McLaurin to compete with. But the important thing, like we said, is that he went 16th overall in the NFL draft. It doesn't really matter where he went. It's keeping his ADP low as well, which is what I love about Jahan Dotson so far in rookie drafts is that people are passing him for, you know, inferior prospects like Christian Watson, George Pickens, et cetera, in my opinion. And I can get Jahan Dotson at the 111, the 112 when Steel. he would be my 108. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I've seen drafts where this guy goes in the second round because people want to hold that early declare bias against him. I mean, this guy is a very, very good player, and he lands in a situation where he can command volume. 16th overall pick, landing in a situation where, outside of Terry McLaurin, like, what the fuck do the football team have on offense? Dotson immediately steps in as that, and is that number two playmaker on the Washington football team. So, yeah, maybe right now you might say, oh, I don't like the Washington landing spot. Yuck. Pa, pa, pa. I mean, how many people are, again, I'm not going to compare Dotson to A.J. Brown as a prospect, but how many people were saying that about fucking A.J. Brown when he came in, uh, came out of college? How many people were saying that about D.K. Metcalf when he landed the Seattle? Oh, yeah, he's Elijah tied to- Moore and Bateman last year had the same you know, same oh. thing. It, it, it matters what kind of prospect they were. It goes back to... You know, we don't want to do the service level analysis around here. We don't want to say, oh, I don't want Carson Wentz as number two wide receiver, so I'm not going to draft Jahan Dotson. Remember what we said at the beginning of the video, 90% of this, you know, post-draft analysis is talent profile and draft capital, which he checks all three boxes outside of the fact that he was, you know, a late declare, which again, when you dominate in your final couple of years, uh, I'm, I'm willing to overlook it. It's not like he just had one good season and uh, he was terrible the rest of his college career. He did it for two years. Yep. No, I absolutely agree. And uh, talking about the opportunity, as we kind of said, I mean, people are going to hold Carson Wentz as like the main detractor here. If you're holding Carson Wentz as a detractor on Jahan Dotson, like, do you actually expect Carson Wentz to be their long-term solution at quarterback? Like, no, it could be Sam Howell, who they took in the fifth round. Who knows? It could be, you know, a rookie wide or rookie quarterback in next year's class. Terry McLaurin, too, who are a lot of people are going to hold against him. Number one, they threw the ball like 600 times last year. So if Terry McLaurin gets 150 targets, then he's not an issue. Jahan Dotson still has plenty of room to produce a 20 to 23 percent target share type of, you know, ceiling in his rookie season. But Terry could also be traded or walk. He's up for his contract. He doesn't want to play, you know, for $800,000 or whatever he's being paid right now because he was a third round pick. He wants to get paid like A.J. Brown just got 25 paid. 25 plus like, million. You know, all these other wide receivers are getting paid. So he could sit out this year. They could intend on trading him. They could not pay him. He could just walk. We have no idea right now. Jahan Dotson, for all we know, could be Terry McLaurin's replacement. Potentially, yeah. No, we'll, we'll definitely see there. But uh Tuning off of, uh, uh, by the way, in terms of Jahan Dotson, again, we kind of alluded to it, but this is our tier two, anywhere between 106 and 109. But again, I would be thrilled getting him out there. He'll probably go 111, 112, 201 in your drafts, which again, is, a, is an awesome that. deal for, for our opinion. Was just about to say that. I mean, realistically, I'd be stoked getting him at 109, but the fact that you can currently get this guy, you know, 111, 112, potentially in the second round, like take that value. Like why are... I don't know. I'm not going to talk about consensus Twitter because it just boggles my mind sometimes with some fool gods that's going on there. But if Jahan Dotson falls to you, do not overthink him. Either way, though, let's transition to our number eight wide receiver. And the first receiver we have in that quote-unquote third tier, if you will. And uh, that's going to be David Bell, 
wide receiver now for the Cleveland Browns. And uh, I'm just going to quickly say, uh, thank the Lord that this guy found day two draft capital. Cause I mean, we were saying our prayers, we're in our live stream, just hoping and praying that it would happen. And it came to fruition. 99th overall pick the Cleveland Browns selected Jarvis Landry 2.0. Cause that is exactly what David Bell represents. This is a guy that produced throughout his college career. Yeah, I get it. He's not a flashy athlete. He's not going to run a four, three, like Christian Watson. He's not six, four, two pounds with elite speed. I get that. I do not care. This guy commands volume like nobody else in this range, period. Every year he's been in college, dating back to his freshman season, sharing a field with Rondell Moore. This guy had a thousand yards. Like genuinely, this is a player that just can command volume, can be a dependable receiver at the next level. And yeah, maybe he's you know, constricted to a slot role in the le- in the next level because an NFL team, well, the Browns, don't view him as having that athleticism to play out wide. But I generally don't care. If this guy can project into a 130, 140-plus targets per year, which is what Jarvis Landry ended up doing, I am taking this guy at value any day of the week. You're talking about a 21-year-old who, as we kind of mentioned with Jarvis Landry, I mean, if he, if we can say right now, you know, David Bell is going to have a Jarvis Landry career, and you're not taking that in the first or the end of the first round of your rookie drafts. What are you doing? Like this is a guy in Jarvis Landry who's had what five, six top twenty-four wide receiver seasons in his three career in his first four four seasons in the top twelve in Miami, yeah. where he was and, just a PPR monster. And it, talking about Cleveland specifically too. I mean, prior to dealing with injuries these last couple years. Jarvis Landry was a top 24 receiver in his first two years in Cleveland, including a number 13 overall finish his first year in Cleveland. So if we're using that spot, not to mention in a run-heavy team, you know, quarterbacked by Baker Mayfield, now we get Deshaun freaking Watson added to that situation. I know we're not talking about situation yet, but my lordy, could you have picked a spot for David Bell to nest in? But with David Bell, it's so simple to me. Elite-level contributor falls in the draft to, uh, due to athleticism. What does that sound like? Jarvis Landry, Keenan Allen. Those guys turned out pretty well, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. David Bell, I mean, him tied to Deshaun Watson's awesome, right? The fact that, you know, Amari Cooper is, you know, never been an elite target share guy as well. I might have a hot take before the season that David Bell has a higher target share than Amari Cooper. I don't know. That that that's pretty spicy, but like, man, Amari the, the type of role that they needed to fill in that offense, they have two deep threats with, you know, Volume Donovan Peoples Jones and Anthony Schwartz. They have Amari Cooper, who's their like pseudo X receiver, number one wide receiver. They didn't have a slot receiver on that roster. They, you know, lost Jarvis Landry. Obviously they lose Odell Beckham mid season last year. I think David Bell's a perfect fit. Like you said, this isn't the Baker Mayfield Browns either. I think that people are underrating that it's Deshaun Watson. Who's the quarterback and Deshaun Watson. I mean, we don't really have an example of him using a slot receiver unless you go back to Hunter Renfro at Clemson, but Uh, This is a guy that I think can fill that role that Deshaun Watson has really never had, which is a guy over the middle that can be consistent for him. Absolutely. I mean, if we're talking about contested catch situations, you know, catching the ball over the middle field, catching the ball in the red zone area, being a dependable target, like David Bell is going to fill that role on as soon as Deshaun Watson suits up for the Browns, a top 10 offense in the NFL. So don't overthink it. Don't say, oh, well, Christian Watson's more athletic. Therefore, I'll take Christian Watson, you know, tied to tether to Aaron Rodgers. And I get that. I mean, that's a that's a good spot for Watson, as we'll get into. But just what are we doing here? If I can trade down from the pick to get Watson and take David Bell at his current ADP, I'm doing that 100 times out of 100. Let's just talk about his ADP right now. He's currently going, according to Adico FF, at the 206 on average in your drafts. 
what are we doing here? This is my current 110. If you can take your 110, trade down to like the 202, get, you know, a future 2023 third and still get David Bell, you should be doing that in 100% of your drafts. Don't overthink David Bell. Don't overthink his athletic score. Think Keenan Allen. Think Jarvis Landry because that is what this guy's going to turn into. Right. And again, we talk about situation changing all the time. You know, Christian Watson, who we can kind of just transition into now. The one thing about his situation that I think people are not taking into account is that Aaron Rodgers is like 38 years old and he's threatened to retire before. If they don't have a good season this year, that, you know, allure that he has, you know, Christian Watson is his number one wide receiver goes away. Right. Then he's Jordan Love's number one wide receiver, whoever they have in at the quarterback position with David Bell. You have a young quarterback with Deshaun Watson tethered to that team for a long time because they just paid him a huge contract. So that is the other thing that, that kind of separates those two guys for me. But like you said, we don't want to outsmart the market. We're not trying to say we're smarter than the market. We're not going to just take David Bell over Christian Watson because we don't have to. We can trade down and still get David Bell. Yep. No, I absolutely agree. Again, if you're in a situation where you can't trade down, again, always be creative on the clock. But either way. If you don't have to take David Bell at the 110, maneuver that board. Be creative. Get extra value. As I kind of mentioned, if you can stack a 2023 third to move down, you know, three or four picks and still get a guy I think is a better superior player to Christian Watson, who's going to be that 110 hypothetically, do that 100% of the time. Like, come on. Yeah. The funny thing is that I don't even think you'll have to do that because I think Watson will be gone before the 110. So Hopefully. Um, Christian Watson, let's transition into him right now. He's basically a walking red flag uh, as a talent. But the one thing I will say is, you know, he's got elite athleticism, but the things that matter at the wide receiver position, and this is like a separate discussion, but when we're evaluating prospects pre-draft, we want guys with, you know, high target shares, good production, you know, for big schools. And he pretty much checks none of those boxes, right? He's didn't have a high target share in college. He was very productive and efficient on the targets that he got, but he was a late declare, you know, senior prospect coming from an FCS school. The intriguing part of him is that he has a lot of raw athleticism potential for him to develop because he performed so well, you know, at the senior bowl and he tested really well and all that kind of stuff as well. And good. The situation just made this so much worse, in my opinion, for why Christian Watson was overrated is because he now goes to the Green Bay Packers with top 40 draft capital, which matters. But he's tied to Aaron Rodgers, at least in the short term, in a wide open receiving core with zero competition for targets. He's competing with Alan Lazard and, you know, the running backs like that's that's pretty much all we got in Green Bay. But I'm likely going to let my league mates draft this guy and take the plunge on Christian Watson, because if I'm in a position where Christian Watson is my best player on the board, I'm probably just going to trade down because I know my league mates are probably going to value him higher than I value him. And I can get a 2023 first, or I can get, you know, um, the 203 and, you know, a 2023 second or something like that. I will likely just trade down or trade out of the pick altogether. It's not that I don't like Christian Watson and I think he's terrible. I just think the risk is, is really, really high for him. And at the, at the tail end of the first round, which is where I have him ranked 110, 111, 112 area. I just would rather somebody else take that risk and, you know, trade down and get David Bell instead. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, he's currently my 112 right now. Um, it's not that I don't like Christian Watts. Again, I was, I was kind of dunking on him when I was talking about David Bell because I genuinely don't know how there's, you know, like an eight-pick discrepancy right now between these guys. Absolutely ridiculous. I don't mind him. Again, he's got upside. He's big. He's athletic. He, from a percentage market share standpoint, was very good in his final season. However, the red flags way outweigh the potential here, in my opinion. You kind of outlined, I mean, who says Aaron Rodgers doesn't retire after this year if, you know, the Packers get knocked out in the wild card of the divisional round? Genuinely. Like, what, what else have they done apart from Christian Watson 
to build around Aaron Rodgers. They told him, or he told them specifically, go up and trade up for Traylon Burks. Guess where Traylon Burks is playing football right now? You know, the Tennessee freaking Titans. So, I mean, this seems like a team that genuinely is over it. Like, they're not doing anything in their power to go up and give Aaron Rodgers their best support. So as a result, I mean, why would Aaron Rodgers show long-term support, long-term commitment to this team? I don't know, but we need Aaron Rodgers to probably be there for two or three years because that's probably how long Christian Watts is going to take to develop. Right, and again, another guy that is at risk of face planning because the the expectations are going to be high. He's Aaron Rodgers' number one wide receiver. If he doesn't produce, people are going to sour on him fast. I think. Yes. And if you were going to take a top 40 wide receiver, if I'm the Green Bay Packers, that needs to step in right away and be productive. I would have definitely not picked Christian Watson. I would have went with you know Sky Moore, somebody else that was on the board at the time who's done that in their career, stepped in right away and been productive. Because like I talked about with Sky Moore, he did that as a freshman, having not even played the position in high school. The last thing I'll say about Christian Watson is, is that 112 or that 201 or wherever he ends up on the board for you? A decent upside swing? Sure. But is sure. is he a 50-50 boomer bust? No. He's a 5% boom, 95% bust is the way I look at him. Maybe 10 to 15% boom. So, um, yes, the upside is there. He could become you know, a superstar. Chase Claypool maybe is the, the median range of outcomes. I, I don't think he's ever going to become like, you know, Julio Jones or DK Metcalf or anything like that. But there is definitely a possibility that he booms. I will admit I was wrong if that happens because I, I do sure. think it's very unlikely to happen. So the 10th guy that we're going to talk about here, another guy that we're not the most high on in the world, but the raw ability is definitely there. Pre-draft, I talked about George Pickens as a guy, yep. wide receiver from the Pittsburgh Steelers, by the way. Yep. He showed great ability to win at the exposition. That's something that Matt Harmon outlined in uh, reception perception and in the video that we did with him. He wins on contested catches, posted the second highest rate in the class behind Drake London. But the problem I have with George Pickens is that I saw a guy that was kind of limited to vertical routes in college, a guy that can run, you know, the, the go route and the comebacks and, and posts and stuff like that, but not a guy that's going to have a very diverse route tree, at least early on in his NFL career, only a 43rd percentile win rate against man coverage, 55th percentile against zone coverage. But again, he was very good against press because he's a big physical wide receiver. He had some red flags as well, which is another wrinkle that we don't really know about because we're not NFL scouts. We didn't get to sit down with George Pickens and, and pick his brain, but apparently some teams took him off his off their boards because of attitude and work ethic related concerns. And again, I'm going to just let my league mates draft this guy. I think the risk is maybe worth the reward at the 201, the 112, the 202, wherever you're going to end up getting him. The Steelers yeah. wide receiver core is quite crowded at the moment. But again, if you liked Pickens as a prospect, that probably shouldn't stop you from taking a, an upside swing on George Pickens because Deontay Johnson, similar to Terry McLaurin, is playing on an expiring contract. Chase Claypool will be up for his contract very soon as well. And if George Pickens can ball, he'll show it at his rookie season. And you'll be able to see that. And it might give you a selling window at the very least in case Deontay Johnson moves on in the future. And for what it's worth, Kenny Pickett, for the defaults that I, I think he has, he also has a decent deep ball. So uh, George Pickens should be a good match with him. Yeah, for sure. And again, if we're talking about Pickens, I, I don't mind the player uh, at all, really. I, I think he's a fine player. Um, the situation, as you mentioned, is a little a little bit crowded. But as we always say, the cream always rises to the top. If Pickens is that guy, he will be able to earn targets in this offense. The way I kind of view George Pickens, again, people say, oh, he's got, you know, number one overall wide receiver in the NFL type of upside. You know, he's an elite town, an elite specimen, yada, yada, yada. I think his higher range of outcomes is like a Michael Gallup type where he can be a very solid one being an offense. He can play that exposition. He can come down some with some, you know, highlighted real ridiculous level contested catches. And with Michael Gallup, 
he was a very raw player coming out of college, but he developed his route running. He developed his separation ability. He became an above average separator at the NFL level. That's still the projection for Pickens if he wants to reach that level. But if Pickens works on his route tree, if Pickens can work on his route running, his nuance again, this is still a very young player. This is still a player with not a ton of college experience considering the fact that he missed the majority of last year with a torn ACL. If he can develop that part of his game, especially playing with a guy who's one of the best route runners, the best separators in the NFL, I think he can turn into Michael Gallup. And if you guys don't know about Michael Gallup, we're talking about a 1,100-yard wide receiver a couple years ago. I think Pickens can develop into that type of player in the next level. Yeah, exactly. Again, I'm I'm glad I'm almost glad he went to the Steelers because I think if he went to a great landing spot, I'd be all the way Get out on up. George Pickens. Yep. Now I think he's at a little bit more of a reasonable landing spot, reasonable area of the draft, going at the you know 201, 202 in a lot of drafts. I'm actually probably going to have some shares of him at this point yep. because at, at one point he was going at the 110 109 and if he went to the Packers instead of Christian Watson he'd be a 106 105 type of yep. dude and I wouldn't you know spend a draft pick on him ever at that point in time so sure. uh, I do think he might be worth the risk at the you know 1 2 turn if you guys are a rebuilding team especially so a couple honorable mentions we're just going to quickly glance over these guys the next tier of wide receivers that was kind of like our third tier David Bell Christian Watson George Pickens etc John Mechie, Wandell Robinson, Alec Pierce, and Jalen Tolbert. All these guys got good draft capital, right? Jalen Tolbert, I believe, went the latest of those guys at like pick 80-something. So all those guys went, you know, in the early second round with Wandell Robinson, mid-second round with John Mechie and Alec Pierce. Those guys have warts on their prospect profiles, to be honest. So that's why they're like that fourth tier of wide receiver. But I think they're guys I'm okay taking uh, taking at like the 202 to like 208 range of your drafts, especially if you don't need, you know, want to take these late round running backs like Damian Pierce, Tyler Algier, the guys that we talked about yesterday. If you want to invest in some more, um, you know, secure long-term assets at wide receiver who got better draft capital. I uh, I personally picked John Mechie at 204 in our listener league draft, and I picked Wondell Robinson at 212. Yeah, no, agree. I agree. I think these are all solid uh, mid to late second round Darthos. By the way, if I came out very standoffish, very passionate in this video, it is passion. It's not to be any, you know, aggressive, if you will. So sorry in advance for that. But either way, yeah, no, it was fun. I enjoyed, if you guys couldn't already tell, talking about these wide receivers in depth. And at the end of the day, man, these wide receivers, this class of wide receivers is stacked to the brim and the cream of this 2022 NFL draft crop. So, I'm pumped. I'm ready to see these guys develop and be that next batch of stars in the dynasty circle. Yeah, I would say like 15 of the first 22, 24 players that you should see off the board in your dynasty rookie draft should be wide receivers. And Easily. I would say probably nine of the first 12 picks should be wide receivers. Outside of Kenny Pickett and the two running backs, I'm probably not picking anybody that's not a wide receiver in the first Correct. round. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree there. But either way, if you made it this far, if you've watched the whole video about 56 minutes deep at this point, Leave a like down below. It helps us grow. I mean, we've seen tremendous, consistent growth really since the NFL draft, even leading up to the NFL draft, currently at about almost 10.2 thousand subscribers. So appreciate you guys on that continued support of the channel. And if you're watching, again, 60% of you that haven't already subscribed, if we haven't convinced you guys to hit that subscribe button by now, I don't know what else we can do. But if you have enjoyed the content, Hit that subscribe, hit that notifications button. We want to see all of you guys commenting on these videos. Helps us a ton in that algorithm. Yeah, and you guys have been seeing it scrolling across the bottom of the screen this yep. entire time too. If you guys want our Dynasty rankings, a lot more available. First priority to Dynasty decisions. You get to see all the player cards and all that kind of stuff. Databases will have coming at you fast and furious. Patreon.com forward slash Fantasy Stock Exchange. We will be opening 
a uh, Ladster tier, which is our $10 tier, Patreon Dynasty League pretty soon as well. So if you guys want a chance to be in a league with us, that is the easiest way to do that. And if you just want our Dynasty rankings as well, you can also sign up and deposit using promo code FSE at sign up and first deposit on underdogfantasy.com. You'll get 100% match back from them. So if you put in 10 bucks, you'll get 20. And you'll also get our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto as a free gift, as a thank you for using our code. So with that being said, guys, peace out. We'll talk to you soon.